Welcome to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. The Catholic Church is often a controversial topic because of its connection to colonialism and abuses during the boarding school era. But Catholicism remains an integral part of some Native cultures, especially in the Southwest and West Coast. It's also been embraced by some Northern Plains tribes. To mark the start of the 40-day period of Catholic sacrifice and reflection, we're talking with Indigenous Catholics about how history, culture, and faith intertwine. That conversation starts after National Native News. This is National Native News. I'm Jill Freitas filling in for Antonia Gonzalez. The Supreme Court of Canada has upheld the federal government's Indigenous Child Welfare Act. As Dan Karpinchuk reports, the challenge came from the province of Quebec, which argued that the act overstepped provincial jurisdiction. Quebec won the case in 2022 before the Court of Appeal, but Canada's highest court, in a unanimous decision, upheld Ottawa's child welfare law, thereby affirming that First Nations, Métis and Inuit have the sole authority over the protection of their children. Indigenous leaders cheered the decision. One of them was Assembly of First Nations Regional Chief from Quebec Labrador, Ghislaine Picard. Our peoples have compromised enough. Uh, I think it's time now for other governments to, to do the same. Uh, I think that's the only way that uh, trust and good faith will prevail. The ruling also affirmed that Indigenous people have an inherent right to self-government, and that includes control over child and family services. The High Court said there is nothing in the division of powers between the federal government and the provinces that prevents Parliament from affirming that Indigenous peoples have the inherent right of self-government. Indigenous Services Minister Patty Haidu called the decision truly historic. Separating parents and their children from culture, from language, from family, indeed from love and from care, is a tool that colonizers have used to diminish and oppress people all around the world. Haidu also said the decision paves the way for more Indigenous autonomy in areas such as health care and water quality on reserves. For National Native News, I'm Dan Karpinchuk. The National Congress of American Indians, or NCAI, is holding its winter session in Washington, D.C. this week. President Mark McCarrow kicked it off on Monday with the annual State of Indian Nations Address. Matt Laszlo has the story from Washington. The work always continues. President McCarrow of California's Pechanga Band of Indians told attendees here in Washington. But, he reports, the State of Indian Nations is strong and on the rise. I believe this is a moment for hope in Indian country. We continue to make strides in representation in everything from elected office to outer space to what I, to what I believe will be a historic night at the Academy Awards next month. McCarrow announced three calls to action in his address. First on his list is the announcement that NCAI plans to host a National Public Safety Summit. We can engage in deep discussions about jurisdictional and law enforcement needs on all our tribal lands and address police brutality in our urban tribal communities. McCarrow says that Public Safety Summit will also focus on combating the opioid epidemic. Second on his list was the announcement that NCAI is forming a task force focused on the integrity of tribal membership and unity after two constitutional amendments to exclude state-recognized tribes from voting membership were defeated at last year's annual conference. I want us to work through this in a respectful way. This is essential for uniting our voices and forging a legacy of unity and strength. And to our Alaska relatives... I recognize our unity as Indigenous people. Our partnership moving forward is critically important. Lastly, 
McCarlow announced NCAI will be convening a national vote roundtable ahead of November's presidential election. Our collective and continued political engagement is crucial. Every vote we cast has the power to shape the future. Under the Biden administration, there are more Native Americans in the highest levels of government than ever before, which Makaro says is being felt in Indian country. This representation fosters a deeper understanding of our needs. Throughout the rest of the week, tribal leaders and Alaska Natives will receive training sessions before NCAI members will hit Capitol Hill offices Thursday to lobby members of Congress and their staffs directly on behalf of Indian country. For National Native News, I'm Matt Laszlo in Washington. And I'm Jill Freitas. National Native News is produced by Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation with funding by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Support by Drummond Woodsum, a full-service law firm whose nationally recognized tribal nations practice provides services to tribal nations and their enterprises and to companies that do business with tribes across the country. More at dwmlaw.com. Support by Amerind. Indian Country's 100% tribally owned insurance partner. Information on property, liability, workers' compensation, and commercial auto needs at amerind.com. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network. This is Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. The story of Catholicism in Native America includes the church's role in forced assimilation and the separation of Native people with their culture, spirituality, and language. Spanish colonizers forcefully converted tribes in California and the southwestern United States. On the other side, the church has been a lasting, welcomed pillar of many Native communities and families. Today, Ash Wednesday, we're talking with Native Catholics about what their faith means to them and their communities. And we welcome you to the conversation. If you are a Native Catholic, how do you observe Holy Days and other practices of your faith? What are your thoughts on this Ash Wednesday? Share your perspectives on the air. Our number to the studio is 1-800-996-2848. Once again, that number, 1-800-996-2848. And we have our phone lines open right now. Joining us from Santa Fe, New Mexico, is Brian Vio. He's an independent consultant and former governor for the Pueblo of Acoma. Hello, Brian, and welcome back to Native America Calling. Hello, Sean. Thank you. Also joining us today from Carnuel, New Mexico, is Moises Gonzalez. He's the Associate Professor and Chair of Planning at the University of New Mexico School of Architecture and Planning. He is Hindisaro. Moises, good to have you back on the show as well. Good morning. Uh, Good morning. Thanks for having me on the show. Well, Brian, I want to go ahead and begin with you. And please, describe what today, Ash Wednesday, means for the holy calendar there at Acoma Pueblo. Well, again, Kowatsui Hopa. Um, good, good afternoon, everyone. Um, thank you for having me on the show and uh, on such a important topic. Um, 
You know, Ash Wednesday is uh, another one of those observances in the Catholic calendar that um, some of us observe um, and uh, begin a process of reflection, maybe some sacrifice, and sacrifice in terms of uh, being prayerful and mindful of, of our, our lives, the way we conduct ourselves. And um, so I, I think in general, you know, we, we, we regard it as such, and most of us will likely attend Mass today to receive ashes um, and, you know, participate in, in the observance of this, um, this holy day. Um, I personally, you know, have uh, always tried to attend Mass on, on Ash Wednesday. Um, as a kid, you know, we would uh, be taken to the church, and all of us would make fun of each other because we had this cross on our forehead. Uh, but, you know, I think we have uh, been nurtured uh, by our elders and tribal leaders to uh, respect um, the, 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 uh, the faith and, and certainly to, to practice as best as we can. Now, Brian, the, the history of Catholicism there at Acoma Pueblo goes back centuries. Uh, you have a church there that's more than 400 years old. Maybe if you could give us uh, a synopsis. I mean, obviously we could do five shows on the history of the church there at Acoma, but maybe uh, a short synopsis of, of just some of the highlights of that history and just um, how the Pueblo makes the Catholic faith their own alongside uh, the traditional practices. Yeah, you know, this would require a series of uh, native or radio shows to explain really the depth of that history. And as as we all know, the uh, conquest um, and the introduction of Catholicism in our respective pueblos here in New Mexico is not exactly a um, uh, a happy uh, or positive uh, story. However, um, you know, when, with the introduction of Catholicism at Acoma, there was a process that was um, uh, undertaken by our elders at that time, who many of them who were likely witness to the atrocities uh, resulting from that conquest. Uh, there was probably a process of healing. Um, and a, 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 a journey of making sense of what our community, along with other Pueblos, had experienced or were still experiencing um, after the initial conquest. And at Acoma, uh, one of the interesting things in our culture is that, um, you know, we have a, an, a process of learning about our our history of our emergence and the, the creation stories, which are all very beautiful and um, provide us with the details of, of who we are and why we are here and what we are to do, our, you know, our inherent responsibilities to uphold our own indigenous way of life and understand and belief. Um, and what became in, in, integrated into those stories um, and again, this is the interesting part, is that we don't necessarily hear of those atrocities experienced by our elders. We hear of only the positives associated with 
um, what the colonizers <laughs> uh, brought um, and and the fact that our ancestors, our elders um, participated, even while it was very much slave labor and loss of life was involved. Uh, but they built this church, they built this structure, and the structure was built atop a significant uh, cultural site at our Pueblo. So we we pay reverence to that uh, fact that our own people built this massive adobe structure. Um, and we also pay great respect to our elders who at some point decided that there would be a process for the introduction of Catholicism into our lives. Mm-hmm. And one one more point that I want to make here is that for Akama, the, this was already foretold, right? Uh, Catholicism and, and contact was a prophecy. <laughs> it was already foretold that there were these things that we would experience. Um, and there are symbols in our own indigenous religion and way of life that inform us of that. And, and, and I believe that our elders at that time also acknowledged, they had to have acknowledged, that those symbols of the Catholic Church were being realized at that time. And, and so there was a responsibility that they had to um, accept and uphold, even while the way in which this secondary form of faith and religion came with such great loss and tragedy. Um, but, you know, it's, it's our understanding, and, and it's respected within the community and acknowledged within the community, and certainly is evident in the way in which we observe not only our own indigenous way of life, but the way in which we've integrated Catholic observances into our present life way. Mm-hmm. Really appreciate such an eloquent uh, description, Brian. And do you think that um, because Catholicism was prophesied among the Acoma people, do you think that perhaps contributes to how you mentioned that the elders now choose to focus on, on the positive aspects of the church as opposed to the more negative ones. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, when I, when I say our, our elders, you know, this was many centuries ago, right? Uh, but those values um, became ingrained in um, and integrated into the teachings Um and, and, you know, I can recall stories of my grand, paternal and maternal uh, grandparents and great-grandparents of um, their time going to the Catholic schools, their, their experiences um, uh, receiving the sacraments of Holy Communion and sometimes um, confirmation uh, and baptism being one of those kind of integral sacraments of the Catholic faith that were very important to families. Um, So it becomes clear, uh, you know, as you grow older and you're constantly reminded of these 
these this history uh, in the storytelling, but also through um, interaction with elders and community that there was a purpose for this, right? And um, and I think that we've done a very uh, amazing <laughs> job mm-hmm. at, at arriving at this understanding. Um, and even while in this time, you know, it's, it is met with controversy, even within our own communities, you know, because Western education and influence of uh, the government systems have informed us and have um, forced us really to be protective of our own indigenous uh, ways of life, our sovereignty, um, and protecting our resources that we now realize and we have generations of Pueblo people who are um, who have a different view about this, and and it it causes some um, challenges internally, but I would have to say that it does not get to the the point that we are in conflict with one another, but that there is still a general, um, I, well, general is not the right word, but there is a still a um, a level of respect and regard for um, the way in which we have or the way in which we practice and observe both. We're going to take a short break, and we come back, we're going to talk more with Brian Vio and our other guests about Catholicism in Native America. Give us a call if you'd like to add to the discussion. 1-800-99-NATIVE. Careers in the film industry aren't always about becoming a movie star. Native stunt professionals are on screen but remain relatively unknown. It's a job that takes a lot of skill and physical ability, and we'll talk with Native stunt actors about what it takes to break into the movie business and make a career. That's on the next Native America Calling. Pursuing a degree in higher education is attainable, and with a scholarship from Native Forward Scholars Fund, it is more affordable. From aerospace to veterinary medicine, as the largest direct scholarship provider to Native students in the U.S., Native Forward has empowered over 22,000 students from over 500 tribes in all 50 states in pursuit of their undergraduate, graduate, and professional degrees. Info and applications at nativeforward.org, who support this show. You're listening to Native America Calling, and we are talking about Catholicism on Ash Wednesday. And we're interested to know what Catholicism means to you and your community. Please join us by calling 1-800-996-2848. Our first guest, Brian Vio, is a former governor for the Pueblo of Acoma, a community in New Mexico that has a deep, deep history with the church. And Brian, I want to talk a little bit now about uh, the church and its contemporary role in Pueblo society. And anyone who's ever had the privilege of visiting any of the Pueblo communities uh, knows about the feast days uh, throughout the summer months and the spring and even into the fall. And then, of course, winter events as well. And in many communities, the church uh, plays an integral role in the feast days. And tell us a little bit about that for our listeners who might not be familiar. I'm sure, you know, uh, over time, uh, you know, this is something that didn't happen uh, 
easily or immediately, but over time, um, the systems within our respective pueblos in, in terms of governance and cultural um, or own indigenous way of, of life um, presented, I guess, these opportunities for the inclusion of Catholic observances uh, throughout the year. Um, and it's really interesting that these observances don't necessarily conflict with our own cultural um, uh, way of life or our, our cultural calendar, if you want to call it that, but it, they're, they remain quite separate, uh, though you see, uh, like, as you mentioned, on a what, what we call feast days here in the Pueblos, which is the uh, celebration of the patron saints of our Pueblos. And I, let me make note here that not all Pueblos observe a feast day, uh, but the majority do. Um, and this feast day is in honor of the patron saint, the saint that was dedicated to the um, respective mission or church that was built in our communities. And, the, you know, during these observances, you see the meshing of the two religions um, and the coming together of the larger community to participate actively engage in that observance. There are also other major uh, celebrations, including Christmas. Most of our Pueblo communities observe a four-day observance of Christmas. Many of the, our traditional dances occur inside the, um, the mission churches. And, and again, you know, these, this, these didn't come about easily. It was a process. And there are individuals or, or societies within our respective communities, individuals who have the now inherent responsibility of ensuring that these types of observances associated directly with the church, including our own government, Spanish form of government imposed on us as well, uh, also tied directly to the church, continue. So it's an interesting circumstance, mm -hmm. um, but, you know, one that we've also seen um, or are realizing some, a little bit of change, you know, again, as a result of uh, some of our members who maybe don't have or uh, or uh, are, are not um, associated directly with the practice of the Catholic Church. Now, one of the other interesting things is that within our communities, uh, in more recent history, you see the introduction of other forms of religion, uh, including Protestantism, um, uh, Mormon faith that have uh, that landed in our communities uh, as a result of the introduction of the railroad system, uh, Route 66, mining operations, um, and these squatters or, or later settlers brought with them and introduced these other forms of religion that are um, also present in some of our communities. Um, and, and that's become an interesting um, uh, uh, evolution, um, but also 
you know, again, because I don't think that we discriminate necessarily uh, against other tribal members who choose a different form of uh, non-Indigenous religious faith, um, we still come together <laughs> for, to observe our, our own um, Indigenous way of life. Brian, really appreciate you sharing so much information, so much valuable information, and information that's uh, not always talked about uh, here on Native America Calling or in other contemporary circles. So appreciate your insights. Uh, let's hear now from a Native person in California, where in the past dozens of tribes were regrouped with Catholic missions and are today known as Mission Indian Tribes. We talked with Andrew Orozco about his connection to the church. He's a deacon for Native American Ministries with the Diocese of San Bernardino. He serves six mission churches on 13 reservations in Southern California. He's Kumeye from the San Pasquale Band of Mission Indians. My church of origin is Mission San Diego, which is the first church that Junipero Serra founded in 1769. And our first baptism was in 1779. 10 years later. And my ancestors have been Catholic ever since. And I could prove that by the baptismals. They were good people. They knew the value of it. And they saw the value of being a part of the church. And they accepted it. There has been a lot of controversy in uh, being associated with the first mission that the Hunapara founded. Uh, I was very involved with the 250th five years ago. Uh, and I tried to get the, the Native American community, my brothers and sisters. It was <laughs> very challenging, I must say, to try to commemorate you know, what our ancestors built, because we did build that church, both in blood and in sacrifice. Orozco balances his calling while acknowledging the painful history of the church's dealings with indigenous people. I travel all over the country. You know, and I speak on this subject uh, many times. People always ask me, you know, how come I am associated with a church uh, that they believe caused so much death and destruction? And, and what I tell them is that uh, we have to live in the truth. We have to know, was the church, the priest of the church, was, did it do this harm, or was it just evil men that were uh, a part of it? The world is made, <laughs> is have people that uh, don't look after the best interests of people. And in some cases, that's what happened in, in some of the churches. But I follow Jesus Christ. There's a reason that things happen, and I am willing to follow Jesus even though those things uh, happen. My call is to follow Jesus and, and end up with him in heaven and to help others do the same. We are a native people. We are a spiritual people. That means we, we have a, a connection with all things, including our creator. That's what we're called to, uh, and it's a part of who we are. It's part of our DNA. I am blessed to be able to help my people in their journey toward paradise, to follow Jesus. That was Deacon Andrew Orozco with the Native American Ministries of the Diocese of San Bernardino. I'd like to now introduce our next guest. Jenny Blackbear is joining us from Rosebud, South Dakota. She is the Director of Religious Education for the St. Francis Mission. She is Sikanju Lakota from Rosebud. Hello, Jenny, and welcome to Native America Calling. Hi, hello. Um, thank you for having me. It's wonderful to have you, Jenny. Well, tell us, how do you observe Ash Wednesday there in Rosebud? Well, today... Um 
it's a holy day in our parishes. We have four parishes on our reservation, and we will have mass this this evening um, for all of our Lakota Catholics. Interesting. And what time will mass be held? So mass is um, at five thirty in two of our parishes, and at seven p.m. in our our parish in St. Francis, St. Charles. Okay. And we're. I'm sorry, Jenny. I, I think I interrupted you. Go ahead, continue. No, no. I was just saying we're, we're observing um, Ash Wednesday today in our parishes, and um, our priests. We have two priests on our reservation for all 20 communities. Um, so uh, one of our priests does go out to like our tribal building, and he will um, offer ashes to those who weren't able to make it, aren't able to make it. And so we're um, we're really blessed to be able to celebrate this in our parishes today. Today, Ash Wednesday. And Jenny, the the ashes that are administered on the foreheads on Ash Wednesday, what do they represent? So the ashes um, from Ash Wednesday are the blessed ashes that are applied for, um, it's the sign of the beginning of Lent, the season of Lent. And um, a really quick explanation that I give, I I teach children, I teach over 240 children in four schools in our reservation, the Catholic faith, and our Lakota teachings and our Lakota culture. And so um, I told them, you know, all week we talked about this, Ash Wednesday is the start of Lent which lasts for 40 days. Um, we're preparing for Easter and so being marked with ashes is our public acknowledgement that we are all sinners. You know, it's, it's ends that we are preparing for Jesus Christ to rise on Easter. So I try to do a quick version for everybody and I hope that's, you know, helpful and in, in, in our teachings. Yeah, that's really helpful. Uh, appreciate it so much, Jenny. Well, let's talk a little bit about the introduction of Catholicism there in the Lakota Territory. Um, how did that all come about? So um, Catholicism was introduced in, I believe it was 1886 here. Uh, we did have a boarding school on our reservation, the St. Francis Mission Boarding School, and I believe that was in 1886. And um, that's how it started here with the Jesuits coming in, or they call them the black robes, and that's how it started And the school. Um, I think was officially closed in the 70s, like 71. But um, I know there was, you know, with all of this stuff coming out, boarding schools, it's 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 really uh, had a negative impact on our communities and for people who went to boarding schools and who, you know, had um, the trauma, the generational trauma. Um, I I am a Lakota Catholic. Um, I my parents were boarding school. Um, they attended boarding schools, um, but I was raised in a Catholic faith. So I know there's that um, generational trauma, that his- historical trauma coming from these boarding schools. But this, the Catholic faith was introduced to our, our people in 1800, 1886 when it came here. So, um, and it, and um, I know it wasn't all negative. You know, we had um, the St. Mary societies. We had St. Joseph societies. Our people came together. They prayed together um, and they learned about our faith, the Catholic faith. Um, and today, as a teacher of the Catholic faith, I teach people that it's okay to be a Lakota Catholic. I've had many people come to me saying that they had to choose to be a Lakota person or a Catholic. And I, in my own experience, and my husband, we were both raised um, in the faith. I have my father-in-law, Deacon Ben Blackbear, is, has been a deacon for over 40 years, 47, 40 years, 47 years. So um, he has been a big influence on, you know, my husband's life and our lives. And um, we've learned so much. You know, growing up as teenagers, we had the the priests in our community. We had priests, and we had sisters, and we had brothers. They taught at our school. Um, they were everywhere. Today, we only have two priests on our reservation, and I feel really bad for our young people because they're not able to experience that. 
and we were able to, you know, growing up in in our you know, in our lives, we were able to practice our traditional ways. I'm a traditional dancer. I was growing up as a teenager, dancing traditional, going to powwows, going to ceremonies with my grandma, sweat, doing all of this stuff, and then still going to church on Sundays. So I tell people it is possible to practice both ways. Jenny, when you reflect on, on your Catholic faith, I'm curious, what um what what positive like what what traits what positive traits that you have uh in your family and joy can you trace to your faith in catholicism i think our faith um a lot of our morals and values and our teachings are similar to our lakota um teachings as well the way that we live as lakota people and our lakota way of life you know we're raised to be respectful to be generous our lakota people are known as generous people we're always um honoring our people and feeding and you know, um, giving stuff away. So generosity, for sure, generosity. Um, praying, praying is one of our Lakota uh, values. And I find that our Lakota values and our Catholic values are almost the same, you know, they, they're the same. And so I, I've taken that, you know, with all the teachings that I have, I have learned, you know, going to church on Sundays and, and being with the sisters. And like I said, we had all of the religious here in our community that we were able to learn from them. And so that helped me in, my way of life now, um, I've been working for the St. Francis Mission for 10 years and as the religious education director, so I'm able to teach these values and I hope I am doing it in a positive, good way to the children so I'm able to teach them not only our Catholic faith, our values, but also our Lakota teachings as well. Let's talk more about the St. Francis Mission where you serve. Now, in addition to the masses and other services, what other positive outcomes uh of the church would you like to talk about there in the community? Well, the St. Francis Mission now is um, an organization and we offer, we have many different programs in the St. Francis Mission. Religious education, where I am, is we are able to reach so many people. I don't only teach religious education during the day, I also teach all the sacramental programs, which is our faith formation, which is baptisms, um, first communions, confirmations, and we are able to reach so many people through these classes. We're able to bring so many people back to the church. We're able to do as many teachings as we can. And I'm, I feel blessed that I'm able to offer that. Um, and I think that's positive, you know, in our communities. And I really open because I am Lakota. I'm from here. I feel that um, I'm able to connect with our people and that they, they can um, relate to me and I can relate to them. And that I hope in my teachings that I'm able to do, you know, what I can um, if I don't know the answer to anything, I can always reach out to our, our fathers. And so I'm really thankful for that and to my father-in-law, Deacon Ben, too, for any assistance with that. I think I went off my question, but <laughs> I hope I answered that. <laughs> well, Jenny, you sound like a, a very, very busy woman, uh, really involved in your community. Let's also talk, there is a Native American saint by the name of Kateri Tikakwitha, a Mohawk woman who lived centuries ago. And uh, many Native Catholics, uh, you know, have events and activities. Well, there's a huge national conference every year and a convening of Native Catholics at the Tekakwitha Conference. Tell us a little bit more about St. Kateri. So St. Kateri, I actually serve on the board of directors for the Tekakwitha Conference. I was really blessed to, um, to be a part of this because St. Kateri is my saint name, my confirmation name. And um, so we we are so proud. Any teachings that I do about her, um, she's the first Native American um, saint to be canonized in the Catholic Church in North America. And so when we teach these teachings to all the children, we want to follow her example. Um, and I and I 
teach our children that, you know, you can relate to her because she's Native American. Um, and so we um, we celebrate her feast day here, um, and we, for sure, we want our people to know about her because she's the first Native American saint to be canonized. And we do that. Um, I, I try to do that, too, nationally. Like I said, I serve on the board, so then um, – I'm, I'm, we were blessed to be able to take our youth. I also work with the youth group with my husband and we we're blessed to be able to take them to the Tech with the conferences these past couple of years. And so they're able to experience that to learn so much more about her, all of her teachings, hopefully keeping that with them and going on and teaching it to anyone, you know, their families and their friends. And so to, uh, St. Kateri is a very big part of our, our people here on the roads, but um, also um, you know, we're praying for, we're praying, sorry, excuse me, for the canonization of um, Nicholas Black Elk. And and we do so many teachings about him um, for his canonization in the church right. as well. Jenny, I'm sorry, we're going to have to take a short break, but we'll be right back. Support by Archaeology Southwest. Did you know almost all major archaeological sites in the Southwest have been looted or vandalized? Looting and vandalism impact indigenous people, past, present, and future. Every day, countless Native American cultural items are lost or damaged forever through looting and vandalism. Federal and tribal laws protect archaeological resources. More information about ending archaeological resource crime and how to submit a tip at savehistory.org and on social media at Save History. You're tuned in to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. We are focusing on Catholicism and what it means to be Native and Catholic in this day and age. Tell us about your connection to the Catholic Church and what you appreciate most about your faith. Our number is 1-800-996-2848. would love to get some calls going. Once again, that number, 1-800-996-2848. We have Jenny Black Bear on the line. She is the Director of Religious Education for the St. Francis Mission in Rosebud, South Dakota. And Jenny, before break, you were explaining uh, the efforts to canonize Nicholas Black Elk. Please continue. Yes, we are. Um, I, I, we're praying for this. We pray that he will be canonized. Um, I always, in my teachings that I teach to my uh, students, is um, that he is a relative. He's a Lakota person. He's a medicine man. But... Um, he was also, you know, um, he did great work in bringing people to the Catholic faith. And so we are praying here on the Rosebud for the canonization of Nicholas Blackout. So we ask people to pray for that. Now, Jenny, if I'm not mistaken, to be canonized uh, a person, there must be proof of some sort of a miracle that was performed while living on Earth. Can you share what what miracles did, did Nicholas Blackout perform? Um I I can't give you the specifics. I know that they are still investigating, so I think that's where they're in the process of doing is investigating the miracles that he is he has done. Um, and I know I know people from um, Pine Ridge who are part of this process, and so I don't want to miss you know put something out there that isn't you know that isn't true. So I, I that's I know that they're investigating it. All right. All right. Well, Jenny, really appreciate you joining us as well and sharing so much information. Uh, about uh, the church there, St. Francis Mission, and the Rosebud community. So again, thank you for joining us. And at this point, we're going to bring Moises Gonzalez into our conversation. He is uh, with the University of New Mexico School of Architecture, and he is Hanisero. And Moises, again, thank you for joining us. And uh, you've been on our show before and have explained to our listeners. But please remind us again, for people who might not be familiar with who the Hanisero people are, can you give us a brief summary of Hanisero identity? 
Sure, sure. Um, it's, uh, Hanisato identity comes, uh, is invented really within the creation of, 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 of basically during the, the colonial process. It was after the Pueblo Revolt when a lot of um, uh, nomadic people of the, you know, uh, migrated into the area. The Comanche had the horseback in the early 1700s, had the horse, became one of the best equestrian societies. The Ute, the Diné, Navajo, the Ende, the Apache, uh, Kiowas, and so what happened is um, during the the, the um, kind of uh, uh, nomadic raids into the Pueblo and the Hispanic community through this warfare, there that, there grew a, a growing population of, the, of of young kids that were of uh, and and women that were captives of uh, through these these the, the, these battles of warfare. So by the mid 1750s, there was a huge population of Henisaros that um, uh, that were pretty much living as servants and slaves in the wealthy Hispanic families, or kind of like a, almost like a wandering population. So, so uh, several governors in the mid uh, 18th century came up with a project. So for example, my community, uh, San Miguel de Carnue, uh, which comes from the word uh, Carna, which is Tiwa. Uh, there was a pueblo here that was abandoned because of Apache uh, Apache raids, but then, you know, the Comanche would use this territory to to raid. So we were pretty much put out here to uh, give in a land grant to almost fight our own people. And so the Henisero communities grew in places like Ranchos de Taos. There was uh, Belen. There was uh, 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 communities such as um, uh, Abiquiu, the pueblo of Abiquiu. And so, um, basically, the creation of, 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 of it was a missionization pro process, almost similar to the process of the missions in, San, uh, in, in, in uh, California, where uh, to, uh, uh, so you would get these, these, these folks of nomadic backgrounds, and once they get in this land grants and became um, uh, 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 in, these, in these communities, that's how the Henisaro was created. The Henisaro actually was created both through the missionization of nomadic people that often uh, also married into the Pueblos as well. So it's interesting that, uh, you know, our, our, our place names are related to the feast days, and that's how um, the Hinisaro became, right? you know, from moving from uh, nomadic uh, 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 indigenous communities and put into um, uh, um, you know, various in, uh, nomadic tribes put together and then over time adopting Catholicism. And uh, and then the same thing as other communities, what emerges is a hybridity of, of indigenous perspectives through our dances, also through uh, uh, merged with Catholicism. Well, tell us about Ash Wednesday and also Lent and how that relates to the Hinisaro people. So uh, one of the societies that existed, and it was because in Hinisaro communities there was such a, a, a lack of priests. So what emerged was a society called the Hermanos, also known sometimes known as Penitentes. Um, and so they'll be all through Lent. They become very important because on Ash Wednesday uh, this evening there'll be a mass at the main uh, parish uh, church in Tejeras. I live in Cornwell, which our, our mission is San Miguel. Uh, St. Michael. And so what will happen, uh, so uh, this starts the, the Lenten season. So every Good Friday, uh, the hermanos will be doing um, their rituals in the, uh, in the, they're called moradas, and several Hinisaro communities have them. There's a, a, a beautiful one that's, that's uh, sometimes even depicted by paintings of Georgia O'Keeffe there in uh, the Pueblo of Abiquiu. And there's actually two uh, moradas in Abiquiu. 
um, on my maternal grandfather's side is from Abacus. So I've reached the Hemisphere community Abacus as well. And so, uh, so every Good Friday they'll be uh, they'll be in the Morada and there'll be community folks feeding feeding and that sort of stuff. And then that will make its way till Good Friday. Um, and there'll be uh, processions on Good Friday in, in various Hanisado communities. And then after that, um, you know, there'll be a feast and stuff, a small feast. So that's generally how what 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 how the the calendar breaks down. And then on um, into the summer after the Lenten season, then goes into our our feast days where we'll be doing dancing matachines, which is also influenced through the through the, through the church. There's almost kind of like a, a dance was taught to Hanisados to to kind of reinforce that Catholic faith and then different uh, uh, local indigenous kind of uh, uh, meanings are added to that. And then that goes on to our winter calendar where we end the year with our um, our dances where uh, we'll dance Comanche dances uh, that are uh, uh, go back to the hunting of the buffalo where we would go hunt the buffalo, we would trade with the Comanche, bring captives back, and it's a captive initiation dance to Santo Nino, which is uh, baby Jesus. Um, so uh, that's kind of so that we have uh, the Montachinas dances that are um, that are public uh, dances with the feast, and then of course the Comanche dances are more private among families. So much good information here, Moises. Thank you so much. I'm going to go ahead and take a caller now, Donna, who is listening on station KNBA in Wasilla, Alaska. Good morning, Donna. Good morning. I called because I practice both spiritualities uh my both my knees were healed in a church service and so i believe in traditional churches but i also uh participate in a lot of um powwows and my husband and i were part of a group that revived a lot of the uh powwows all across the state of Alaska. We were traveling all the time, going to a lot of powwows in the prisons, in um, colleges, universities, uh, you name it. We were there. (laughs) So, you know, God is good. Our Creator is alive. Our Creator knows our spirituality that's been here for 10,000 years and still here. And uh, when we can teach other people what we know, what what the Creator has taught us, then we will all be one. Hmm. Donna, um, we'll stay on the line a second. Donna, this is uh, I appreciate you calling. Um, what about uh, in, in some of the Alaska Native villages there? Can you tell us about the role of the church in some of the communities? Oh my goodness, uh, but they experience the same thing. You know, the trauma I've taught in villages where the priest. Uh, sexually abuse the children, and I still see the ramifications of things that happen, you know, the what's happened in the cultures, but we also brought people in and uh, revived uh, the, the, their culture in the school. It, it wasn't us. We were just blessed. God just picked us and said, go and heal these people, and I'll help you. Because believe me, I'm not organized. If you saw my house, you'd you'd know what I'm talking about. 
<laughs> All right. Donna, thank you for calling in. Uh, you really make my day with uh, your warm words and your, your bright disposition. Moises, I want to go back to you now, and let's talk about uh, your Catholic faith on a more personal level. And what does it mean to you to, to be Catholic, a practicing Catholic, and and, and how does it all intertwine with your family and your community and just your overall life? Yeah, so I'm, uh, I, like I said, I'm involved in, um, in, in the community through the dances, through the matachines, and, and through the, the, our, our Comanche dancers. Dances, I've been dancing for quite many years. And, um, and so for me, the feast days are very important. You know, we, pra- we practice, you know, we practice before. We actually, uh, during the different times of the years, we'll, we'll pra- practice with, uh, you know, the youth to get the youth involved, which we're working to, to always maintain. So it really is a, is a whole yearly process. I mean, we start now at the beginning of the year. Uh, you know, one of the early feast days I know is important to Pueblos is uh, King's Day when they, uh, where they, uh, the, the Pueblo leaders change, but that's also starts the, the Catholic calendar um, in January. And then, you know, we move through Lent, and then we hit to our summer feast of Santa Cruz, um, the Holy Cross, and that gets us to our main feast in Cornwall, which is San Miguel, which is, significant, which is in September, which signifies that when the, the folks go on the buffalo hunt and then come back, and then that leads us to – so it's, it's interesting because then all those things are also related to, like, when we bless the Aseca, we bring uh, – there's the blessing of San Isidro and – and, and, and that's a, it happens in a lot of communities in New Mexico. So my personal connection is, you know, I'm, I'm on the board of the land grant and I, you know, uh, my, you know, my, my uh, grandma who was really involved in, in the dances and the feast back in, in, when she was young in our family. So it's really been passed down from generation to generation. Um, so, so I, you know, um, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty blessed to be part of this. You know, my, my kids have danced with me um before and and, and 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 you know just nice to to see how we've been blessed to 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 participate in, in these kind of the you know the, the the catholic calendar that that's merged with this indigenous perspective it's beautiful Moises, what, I mean, we've talked about uh, some of the contradictions with the church with regard to to some of the oppressive legacies but also you know, Catholicism is a demanding religion. It requires uh, a lot of adherence, you know, masses and other rituals and sacrifices. And uh, is that aspect hard at times, just making some of those sacrifices and, and participating uh, to the extent that uh, Catholicism re- requires in many cases? Yeah, the way I think of it is, you know, we use the term cadencia uh, a lot, and that's just kind of your your connection to place and it actually follows the rosary right and it's you know also has an kind of like a broader indigenous perspective right because there's five parts of the rosary so we think of it like our cadencia our love of where we are is love to ourselves love to our community uh our love to our family love to our community love for humanity and then the fifth one is our our connection to to the creator right so i think it is. It's demanding, and there's definitely conflicts and contradictions that 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 need to be discussed and talked about. You know, um, you know, you look at Mexico, just Our Lady of Guadalupe and Day of the Dead. You know, Day of the Dead is an indigenous uh, belief system that's one of the biggest holidays, uh, biggest uh, t- traditions in Mexico, but also it's um, you know connected to the church. So, um, so it, it's just so intertwined into the belief system. You know. 
Yeah, absolutely. It really is. And um, for young Catholics growing up, Moises, um, what's your message to young people today uh, with regard to the church? People who might say, geez, you know, it just seems like a lot of work, or, or maybe I'm not really wild about the, you know, some of the history there. What, what do you tell folks? I think, you know, the church is made up of, of us as individuals in our communities. And I think, you know, for us, you know, when, you know, addressing injustices, I think, you know, our, uh, you know, I, now that I'm learning, learning about, uh, you know, um, uh, uh, you know, the church uh, canonizing the Lakota elder, I, um, I think that's great. I think that's ways where we can collectively uh, support one another. And also, you know, just uh, uh, for, for why it's important is uh, so many traditions are intertwined. So you really can't, you know, because some of the Matachinas are, are connected to the church. Well, our traditional, those aspects of our dances won't survive. You know, they can adapt, I guess, but what is their context and meaning? So um, I think, you know, for us, I just think the, the, the best thing to, uh, tip for, for somebody to connect their faith where their indigenous beliefs are connected to their, to their indigenous belief is, 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 is follow that, uh, follow that path. And, 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 and your, and, and your, a commitment to the faith. Thank you, Moises. And, and Jenny, I'm going to go back to you. We've got about a minute left for you to wrap up the show. I'm going to give you the last word. And, and any other closing thoughts or comments you want to share today on Ash Wednesday with our listeners? Um, I just thank you for having me. Um, thank you for giving me this opportunity to speak. And I just want to wish everybody a blessed Ash Wednesday and um, a good Latin season. Thank you. And with Absolutely. And with that, we're going to have to wrap up our discussion now. We are out of time, but uh, the conversation can still continue on social media. So feel free to connect with us on Facebook, on Instagram, and any of those other channels. Uh, let us know what you thought of today's show and any other insights you would like to share. And with that, big thank you to our guests today, Moises Gonzalez, Brian Vio, and Jenny Blackbear. Hope you can join us again here on Native America Calling tomorrow for another riveting live discussion. We'll be talking with Native stunt actors. Hope you'll tune in. Are you a Native American healthcare provider, recovery counselor, social worker, domestic and sexual abuse advocate, or traditional healer working in Native American communities? Dr. Ruby Gibson will begin an advanced immersion in healing historical trauma. This online masterclass in somatic archaeology uses the lens of a seven-generational recovery approach providing powerful modalities and is offered tuition-free to tribal members. Registration deadline is March 1st. Info at freedomlodge.org who support this show. Ah, Cheskpukani. February is American Heart Month. Protect your heart by eating healthy, staying active, and managing stress. Heart disease can run in families, so talk with elders about your family history. For more information, contact your local Indian healthcare provider, visit healthcare.gov, or call 1-800-318-2596. A message from the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services. Native America Calling is produced in the Annenberg National Native Voice Studios in Albuquerque, New Mexico by Kwanak Broadcast Corporation, a native nonprofit media organization. Funding is provided by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting with support from the Public Radio Satellite Service. Music is by Brent Michael Davids. Native Voice One. 
the Native American Radio Network.